Today's topic of discussion is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur being Hebrew for Day of Atonement. All right. If you would please turn to Leviticus chapter 16. I didn't really plan this, but it's very fortunate timing, actually. The Yom Kippur this year, which the Jews will be celebrating, is October 4th. And so that is, uh, you know, not this week, but next week. Now, uh, do we celebrate Yom Kippur? We don't celebrate Yom Kippur. Um, In a sense, we celebrate Passover, just quite radically transformed, right? Uh, We celebrate Pascha. We celebrate Easter, right? What we call Easter. What most other languages in the world would call Pascha, which is just the Greek word for Passover. But we don't celebrate Yom Kippur. And the reason why we don't celebrate Yom Kippur is what we'll talk about next time. But the short reason is, is the Jews, right? And this is one of the central arguments to the book of Hebrews. (laughs) Um, the Jews continued to celebrate Yom Kippur and had and were supposed to celebrate Yom Kippur yearly. All right? It was a day, a specific day of the year, roughly, I think it was about six months after Passover, which is why Passover was, well, that was back in the spring. Day of Atonement comes up next week. Uh, they were supposed to celebrate it every year because every year they needed to go through this, essentially to propitiate God, to expiate their sins. All right? And the central argument perhaps the central argument of the book of Hebrews, is that we don't have to do that. That's actually one of the key differences between Christianity and Judaism that came before it. And that is, you don't have to repeat that sacrifice. Right? Uh, you only have to have... We, we did have a Yom Kippur. It happened when Jesus died. All right? And we just don't need another one anymore. You could also say that every time we practice the Lord's Supper, we remember our Yom Kippur. We remember our Passover. All right? We remember our Pascha. We remember our Easter. Because that is Jesus instituting a remembrance of the brokenness of his body and his shed blood. But today we're going to focus on Leviticus. All right, so we're going to talk about the Jewish Yom Kippur. All right, the one you know this is something we look at. And we go, okay, this is this is biblical. It is absolutely biblical for them to, or it was for them to celebrate or practice Yom Kippur. It is not anymore. It has been ended because that covenant is drawn to an end. But much in Hebrews depends on understanding this. This, this basic feast, this basic festival, this basic rite. And so we're going to spend time on it. So Leviticus 16, if you haven't gotten there. And we are going to work through that text. And then we are going to work through the paragraph of the next chapter. Because um, they are clearly, I think, related. And adds an interesting element to it. So Leviticus 16. So I'm going to read it. All right, and then what I want you to do, or at least read the first part, is I want you to help me identify what the animals are and what their purpose is. So Leviticus chapter 16, reading in the ESV, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. 
And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat, but in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place. With a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for the burnt offering, he shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. He shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. So what are our animals? There is a bull. What's next? Next is a ram. Then there is a goat and a goat. Okay, what's the last? Another ram. Okay. Now let's stop for a minute and talk about some of this. If you would, please um, turn, uh, keep your, keep a mark here and turn to Exodus 39. So Exodus 39 is about the making of the priestly garments. So the the priests were to wear certain garments. The high priest had special garments. So they were supposed to wear certain things. And let's read through this and uh, just go through the whole thing. And I will point out something uh, where it makes a change and where we need to pay a little bit of attention. Exodus 39. From the blue and purple and scarlet yarns, they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place. They made the holy garments for Aaron, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He made the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. And they hammered out gold leaf, and he cut it into threads to work into the blue and purple and scarlet yarns and into the fine twined linen and skilled design. They made for the ephod attaching shoulder pieces joined to it at its two edges. And the skillfully woven band on it was one piece with it and made like it of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen as the Lord had commanded Moses. So this is talking about his upper garment at this point. Okay. They made onyx stones enclosed in settings of gold filigree and engraved like the engravings of a signet according to the names of the sons of Israel. So they had like every Israelite's names on those gems. Is that what's, what, what it was? Every single male Israelite? The tribes. the tribes, right? The sons of Israel, meaning the sons of that man. Israel, I think, is, is the meaning there. And he set them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod to be stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel as the Lord had commanded Moses. And so the high priest, when he's doing his work, would have a remembrance of who he's doing this for, the twelve tribes. He made the breast piece in skilled work in the style of the ephod of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. It was square. They made the breast piece doubled. They span its length, and they span its breadth, 
when doubled. And they set in it four rows of stones, a row of sardius, topaz, and carbuncle was the first row. Second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. Third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and jasper. How many rows? Four. Uh, and how many different gems in each row? Three. So how many is that total? Twelve once again. All right. So three times four, twelve. There were twelve stones with their names... Right, twelve stones with their names, according to the names of the sons of Israel. They were like signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. And they made on the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold. And they made two settings of gold filigree and two gold rings, and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece. And they put the two cords of gold and the two rings at the edges of the breastpiece. They attached the two ends of the two cords to the two settings of filigree. Thus they attached it in front to the shoulder pieces of the ephod. Then they made two rings of gold and put them at the two ends of the breastpiece on its inside edge next to the ephod. And they made two rings of gold and attached them in front of the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod at its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And they bound the breast piece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue so that it should lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod and that the breast piece should not come loose from the ephod as the Lord had commanded Moses. He also made the robe of the ephod woven all of blue, and the opening of the robe in it was like the opening in a garment, with a binding around the opening, so that it might not tear. On the hem of the robe they made pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet and yarns and fine twined linen. They also made bells of pure gold, and put the bells between the pomegranates all around the hem of the robe, between the pomegranates. A bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe for ministering as the Lord had commanded Moses. Right? So, very nice, very, 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 very nice garments here. They also made the coats woven of fine linen for Aaron and his sons, and the turban of fine linen, and the caps of fine linen, and the linen undergarments of fine twined linen, and the sash of the fine twined linen, and of blue and purple and scarlet yarns embroidered with needlework as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now that paragraph is different. What was coming before was extremely intricate, extremely ornate. All right, many different colors. Let's hammer out gold, then turn it into thread, use the golden thread, then build the breastplate, and attach various stones on it. Uh, that paragraph, all right, very different than that. All right, they also made in verse 27, this is different things that they would wear, which we'll see in a minute. They also made, once again, the coats woven of fine linen for Aaron and his son, and the turban of fine linen. So these are just plain, just white linen. And caps of fine linen, and the linen undergarments of fine twined linen. The sash is different, though. And the sash of fine twine linen and of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, embroidered with needlework as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it an inscription like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. And they tied it to a cord of blue to fasten it to the turban above as the Lord had commanded Moses. So you can turn back to Leviticus. Okay. So we're going to go through and think about the... um, Once again, think about the Day of Atonement. Back to Leviticus 16, starting at, once again, verse 1. 
The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near to the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. Alright? Now, do we remember this story of the two sons of Aaron dying? Do you remember this story? This is where they were functioning as priests and they offered a sacrifice in a way that they were not supposed to offer a sacrifice. And what did God do? He struck them dead. All right. So this is a very serious thing right here. He's, he's bringing this back to Aaron. It's like, tell Aaron essentially not to be like your two sons, which I had to kill because they offered wrongly. This is a very serious thing. Which is a which is a message, right? Approaching God is a very serious thing. Approaching God sinfully is a very dangerous thing. Alright? And that's what they did, and then the Lord killed them. And so Aaron ought to be extremely careful. It starts off with a negative. Don't approach at any time, alright, which is not the point, alright? Aaron was supposed to approach. But it starts off with a negative. Alright, like we sometimes might do. Don't ever do this. Unless, blah, 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 all right? Don't ever approach. Except this way. Anyway, back to verse 3. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat. And so this is, he's not, he's not wearing the very nice ornate gold getup. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on and he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. So there's some things to point out here. One, as others have pointed out, I just think it's very interesting. You've got Aaron, who would normally, as the high priest, be wearing the most fanciest getup in all of the people, here on the Day of Atonement, becoming like a normal person. Okay? So, and as we will see through the Day of Atonement, he had to do that, all right? It, because ultimately, Aaron and his sons, the priests, had sin, and so therefore their sin had to be dealt with. He ceased being the high priest, in a sense, in terms of garment, and became like a man, all right? Became like a normal man, so that he could perform this rite. You might think there's theological interesting things there, and I also think there are <laughs> theologically interesting things there. And so Aaron... All right, the high priest, or you know, at this point, Aaron. Later on, whoever the high priest was after Aaron's death, um, would have to basically become like a normal person and have his sin dealt with. All right. So, based on this, what are the what's the purpose of these different sacrifices? What's the bull for that we know of so far? Sin offering. Sin offering. Okay. All right, what was the ram for? A burnt offering. Sin offerings and burnt offerings are both burnt. The difference would be the burnt offering, generally speaking, is voluntary. And so people could bring burnt offerings because of their sin, all right, whenever they wanted to. 
All right, sin offering was something a little bit different. Burnt offering, in this case, was, uh, so they'd both be used, but they are distinguished in their function as we go through the text. What about the goats? Sin, all right, so these are both sin offerings. And then the ram? It's a burnt offering, okay. The first two, who are they for? And the last three? The people. Okay. What are the goats being escaped? What's that? What are the goats being escaped? Mm -hmm. We're not there yet. All right, verse 6. All right, we've, we've now basically had this explained. Verse 6, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. All right, so for the priesthood. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for... What do you got? Scapegoat. Some of you have something different. Azazel. Okay. Scapegoat or Azazel. We will come back to that later. Right now, the point, uh, the difference is not super important. And for those who don't have it, it's A Z A Z E L. Azazel. Um, And the Lord, so he's got the, right, so he shall make atonement for himself in his house. He shall take the two goats and set before them. All right, he'll cast lots over the two goats, one for the Lord and one lot for scapegoat slash Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. So if we were to say, all right, that this is goat number one, all right, this one is for, uh, for the Lord. All right, and the other one is for uh, Azazel slash the, it is the scapegoat. Okay. So verse nine, and Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering, but the goat on which the lot for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Right, so we've got we've got some basic functions here, but really we just talked about sin offerings, right? That was what that paragraph was about. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself. So now we're backing up. All right, this this happens. Now we're backing up once again. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as as a sin offering for himself, and he shall take a censer full of coals. What's a censer? It's a, it's. It's, yeah, it's, a, it's a bucket bowl thing, all right? Something that you can put stuff in and it will hold it. Not a plate. All right, and so he shall, uh, so he takes a censer full of coals from the fire, or of the, uh, uh, coal of fire from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of sweet incense, beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil. Okay. So if we think about 
Um, let's think about the tabernacle, right? Now, if this is the tabernacle right here, okay? Well, excuse me, if this is the most inner place, all right, so this would be the inner, inner room, the Ark of the Covenant would be here, okay? Uh, where is the, where is, and if we think about our, norm, our normal directions and how we draw maps, right? Where is the altar and from what direction is the high priest approaching this room? Do we know? Bottom. Not from the bottom. From the east, all right? Sun rises in the east. And so the whole tabernacle was, uh, if we, all right, the whole tabernacle was arranged towards the sun, okay? And so that helps when we, when we hear about the, um, the instructions here in a minute. So I pointed out. So Aaron is out here, and here's the altar. And so Aaron, uh, there's too many A's, all right? The high priest, all right, will enter from this direction and go into here. All right, that's what he's talking about. And he will take coals from the altar. So there's a fire here. He will come in this direction there. Okay? So he brings coals in. Let's, let's get back to the text. Verse 12, And he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil. And put the incense of the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the sanctuary, so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. When I was first reading this, I was keeping thinking, say, okay, I had the north-south orientation going on, and I'm like, why is Aaron going to the right-hand side and sprinkling. Well, he's not, right? He's, he's sprinkling it on the east. And so he's walking straight in and just sprinkling in front of him, all right? So that's why the, the direction, at least, is mildly helpful in understanding the text. He's not going around the altar to sprinkle on sides. He walks through, sets down the censer, puts the incense in, you get smoke, and then he sprinkles the blood in front of him, okay? Not walking around, just, just right in front of him. So let's take a look at that, all right? Um, so you've got a verse 13. And put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, all right? So over the ark of the testimony, or over the ark of the covenant, so that he does not die, all right? Now, because the idea here is where does God dwell? For the Israelites, all right, where does he dwell? Well, he dwells in heaven, okay. Where does God dwell? He dwells, the, the cherubim are his footstool. He dwells in the middle of the cherubim, and people are not supposed to look directly at God, right? Because if you do, you die. And so, therefore, he incense smoke and is no longer in danger of death. So, yes, Chip. Verse 15. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people. So now, we've already killed, we've, we've killed this guy right here. The sin offering for Aaron has been made, Aaron and his sons at this point. All right, the sin offering has been made. Now we shall kill the goat. All right, there is the one for the Lord and one for Azazel. Which one are we killing? We are killing the one for the Lord at this point. 
We shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil to do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus shall he make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness or uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. All right. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and all his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Okay. What is the distinction between the holy place and the tent of meeting? They're the same thing or different? Right. Tent of meeting. Isn't the holy place like the resting place of God? And In a sense, it's his throne. Yeah, and then the tent of meeting is what's surrounding it. So this is a tent right here. Right. So the tabernacle was all tents. Right. Because it had to be mobile. When you get the temple less tent-like, it's a building. Right. The tabernacle, though, was as a tent, because whenever they would move, they would have to move the whole thing, and when you roll up the curtains and whatnot. So the tent of meeting, this whole thing is the tent of meeting. Everything is the tent of meeting. This particular part is the holy place. Right? Now, normally, uh, other priests could be in here. It's fine. Right? The holy place, the, whole, the high priest was only supposed to go. All right? And he wasn't supposed to go just any time. He was only supposed to go, and that's the point of this, one time a year. All right? So one time a year. And when you do it, you have to do it very carefully or you may die. All right? First you offer. You have to cleanse yourself before you can go in there. All right? Then you can make cleansing for the people of Israel. Cleanse yourself first. Cleanse yourself, cleanse the people there, which is very important in the book of Hebrews, but that's not today. Okay, so back to verse 15. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. So in other words, you've got blood. Right? If this is the altar, this is where he's sprinkling the blood. All right? There's going to be a lot of blood out here near the altar. Right? Because that's where the animals are killed. You don't bring the bull into the holy place and kill the bull there. The, the, bull, the bull is killed out here. I think we'll get more detail on that here in a second. Thus you shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. So first, this is cleaned, and then the whole tent is cleaned. Why does the tent have to be cleaned? The tent did nothing. The tent is not a moral thing. It's because the tent is with a bunch of immoral people that are full of uncleannesses. Verse 17. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself, the bull, and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. 
Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat, put it on the horns of the altar all around. And then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it with the uncleanness of uh, from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. So the altar becomes bloody on the horns and sprinkled on it as well at that point. The blood of the sin offerings. These two right here. Verse 20. And when he has made an end of atonement for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. It's uh, someone who's ready to, to take it. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat free in the wilderness. All right. So, now which one are we talking about? This goat. All right, so he dies? No, he does not die, actually. He lives. And so what... What's, what's the imagery so far that we've got? We've got, all right, Aaron is not worthy. All right, Aaron is not worthy to do this, to even go in here. So therefore, he has to kill the bull so that he can go in here. All right, and that is for himself. And then this goat right here is also slaughtered, and that blood is used here. And then the people are cleansed. And then the blood of both is sprinkled on the altar. So the altar itself is cleaned, and the whole of the tabernacle is cleaned. Then, all right, well, what about the sins themselves? What about the sins? Well, the blood, I think we should look at the sacrifice, the blood there as appeasing the wrath of God. Something must die. But also you've got an image of something that is living, taking those sins, all right, and taking them away from the people of Israel, right? So take all the sins of the people, all right? Aaron puts his hands on the head of the goat, all right? This is symbolic of, as the high priest, transferring all the sins of Israel onto that goat, all right? And so where does that goat go? All right? Most importantly, the goat leaves the camp, all right? And by camp, I don't mean the tent of meeting. All right? The goat must leave the people. All right? Because if, you, if the goat doesn't leave the people, then sin is still in the camp. All right? Sin can't be in the camp. Sin has to be taken away from the people. And so the sin is put on the goat, and the goat is taken out into the wilderness. All right? Either to as a scapegoat or to as a zeal, which we'll get to. Verse 22, itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat free in the wilderness. All right? So the goat gets to live. 23. 
Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting, and he shall take off the linen garments he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place, and put on his garments, and come out and offer his burnt offerings and the burnt offering of the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. Okay, so now he's, I, I assume... So we're taking off the white plain linen garments, and now he is once again assuming the role of the high priest. He is putting on his garments, meaning the scarlet and blue and gold and beautiful garments. All right, he's now taken off the role of being a normal man and a sinner, and now taking on the role of the high priest. And then, what what does he offer at this point? The burnt offering for himself. So both at this point. All right. So now he's he's. Uh, all right. Let's, let's go back to verse twenty-three and reread it. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments he had put on and went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water. This is not our last bath. In a holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer the burnt offerings and the burnt offering of the people. All right. His burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people. So both. And make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering. All right. So this is not the burnt offering. This is the fat of the sin offering. He shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel, or lets the scapegoat go, whichever you got, shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. All right. So Aaron, after he does his thing, he has to bathe and put on the high priestly garments. Next, whoever took the goat out, all right, is now unclean, right? Because he, he he's been holding and pulling a goat full of the sin of Israel out into the wilderness and leaves him out there. Now, for him to come back in the camp. He has to wash himself, right? Because that person is now unclean because of association with the goat. So that person also must wash themselves. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. So the bull of the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering. All right, now we burnt some things on the altar just a second ago, right? What did we burn? The fat of the sin offering. All right. So the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. The rest of the body, all right, the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may, re- he may come into the camp. So we have everyone who's dealing with this whole event must be cleansed after they deal with it. Right? And so Aaron must, get, must take a bath and he must cleanse himself. The person who, carry, or who leads the scapegoat out into the wilderness must wash himself before he comes in. And the one involved in taking the carcasses of the sin offerings outside the camp and burning those up must also wash themselves before they come into the camp. Sin is something very serious that they must be cleansed from. In verse 29, And it shall be a statute to you forever, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, all right, 
you shall afflict yourselves and shall not do work. What do you all have for afflict yourselves? You afflict your souls. What else do we have? Anybody have anything other than afflict? This would be verse uh, 29. Some translations will do fast. Okay, thank you. So the idea here is it's um, something ascetic. You You shall fast. You shall afflict yourself. You are to take this very seriously. This is not a fun moment. This is not a relaxing moment. This is a very serious moment. So you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. Okay. So... This is the way in which the entire camp is involved. At this point, we essentially have three people. We have the high priest, we have the person who takes the scapegoat out, and you've got the person who has to deal with what's left of the bodies of the sin offerings. Uh, And now, how does the rest of the camp involve themselves in this? They are to afflict themselves. They are to fast. They are to rest and Focus on this. Yes, Medina. Um, mine says afflict your souls, but in the footnote it says humble. Right. Yeah. All that, all that, right, is a part of it. Uh, you know, humbling, afflict, hum, you know, all of that, totally there. Yes. Uh, well, in all the context of all this, they're eating manna, only manna. So if you're, like, I was vegetarian for like a year and a half, two years, and I, whenever I smell fat, you know, burning or or even blood, like that stuff. It's affliction. It's afflicting, really, when you're 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 burnt offering and stuff. Where it's like your olfactory senses are going, oh, that smells great. Oh, it's like yeah, you can't have that. Um, so it's very interesting. It's like a, another layer of context. That, that does sound afflicting. No disagreement there at all. So, but verse thirty-two. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garment. So this is talking about succession, right? Priestly succession, high priest to high priest, right? So this is, this is how, I mean, Aaron, Aaron can't do this forever, right? So whenever Aaron dies and somebody else gets it, then they shall do it. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. So that is the day of atonement, which the Jews sort of still practice, right? Now they why can't the Jews actually practice the day of atonement? They don't have access to all the bulls, ribs, and goats they eat. No, they got plenty of that. There's there's the, the place is missing for them, right? That's something I'm confused about cuz uh, cuz I'm actually I audiobook the Bible and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm in Psalms now but before that I mean even God mentions David, or not, I don't know, he didn't mention David, he was talking to, I forget which prophet, because David was talking about, oh, I'm going to build you this, this great temple. Mm-hmm. Like, I never, this is not something that I ever required. And I also 
get this when I interact with the Jewish folks is like there's no sacrifices being done now because there's no temple and it's like there was no temple for the vast majority of like the beginnings of this time yeah. and it was in a tent and it's like how can that switch over to like a mobile place of worship to a, a once and for all cannot move you know everything is shattered and God never commanded that for like he details out the tabernacle and all the aspects, yeah. but not, nothing, like, other than he does lay out, you know, the dimensions of the temple after the fact, but all mm-hmm. of its caveated is, I will, I'll let this stand as long as you keep my covenant. And they yeah. don't. And then it's like, the, t- the, uh, the tent never was destroyed, I guess is the difference. It's like, two temples have been destroyed. Mm-hmm. The tabernacle and that, that tent structure was fine up until it turned into a temple, I guess. Okay, but but what's missing? What do you mean? They could reconstitute the tabernacle, but what's missing? Ark of the Covenant. There is no mercy seat anymore. All right, so that is certainly gone. But you're totally right, right? The the switch to a temple, all right, was during the reign of Solomon, right? David says, I'm going to build you a temple. God says, no, you're not, all right? You're a man of blood. Your son will do it, and so his son does it, right? Uh, so you're right. That was not prescribed in the law, uh, but was something that got allowed sure. for whatever reason. But they don't have a tabernacle or a temple, right? Whichever one. And it's interesting to note that the author of Hebrews never talks about the temple, not even once, which is one of the weird things about the book of Hebrews. He always talks about the tabernacle, right? Which is weird, right? Might be a clue to when he wrote it, right? Did he write it before AD 70? Then, okay, well, why don't you mention the temple? Did he write it after AD 70? Well, of course you're not mentioning the temple. There's no temple, right? So, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a good question, right? Or maybe it's just direct. He's, he's drawing directly from Leviticus. Leviticus, which it was the tabernacle. And the temple is just a tabernacle that doesn't move, essentially, right? Yes, Chip. I'm sorry, what? One at a time. Uh, sure. Okay. Uh, one, this is Jesus is our sacrifice, our Yom Kippur. Yep. He assumes the role of both goats. One for the sacrificial mm-hmm. goat because he shed his blood. And the scapegoat because the sins of the people are put on his. Mm-hmm. I can understand that. Two, if that's the case, why is he referred to as the Lamb of God, sacrificial Lamb of God? There's no Lamb here. I don't know that. That's a good question. But you're right on the first part. Yes, he was. He is. He is both. He is both goats. In this case. And three. Year after year after year, this writ is performed. Even after a couple of years, the place must have been a bloody place because. You don't have a cleaning crew come in the next day and mm-hmm. get all the blood stains away. Yeah. So, uh, I was just wondering just how bloody was it? How, how long did this take place and how much blood was shed here? Well, this is not the time where the most blood is shed. Yeah. Where's the, what's the I time where the most Passover? Blood on the mercy seat right. and on the tent of meeting. 
But Passover is is much bigger problem in terms of total bloodshed. And well, at least whenever you're in Jerusalem and you're doing the Passover, uh, at the very least you're on a mountain, so at least it'll flow down, right? And I'm sure at least out there you could wash, right? Um, there's not a lot of blood in here, right? It's just sprinkled. Okay. And a lot of it's going to dry up. A lot of it's going to turn to dust over time, right? And so, yeah, it's going to still be messy. Um, but the bulk of the blood is outside of that and could totally be cleaned and, and would have been, yeah. But inside, there's no cleaning. There's no cleaning on the inside. Now, with the tabernacle, the tabernacle moved. And so that's not a problem for the tabernacle, right? Um, now, I, I assume they did not also clean the ark. And so as they were moving the ark, I assume there was dried blood on the ark as well. But yeah. Do you know why the Jews choose to keep celebrating the Day of Atonement when they don't have the ark, the covenant? Well, actually, he didn't. He, that's, that's actually the, the, that, the, one of the key central points of the author of, of Hebrews. We don't have to sacrifice the Day of Atonement exactly. ever again. Well, the Jews do, yes, because yeah. they don't believe in Jesus. Yeah. Yes. His question is, since they don't have the mercy seat. Oh. What is the point of them trying? How do they get around that? And they don't do sacrifices or anything. That's right. They're missing an important part of it. They are, and and they know that actually. They, they obviously they know they're missing it, and it's not just for them, right? There was. You know, we know within scriptural time, all right, uh, within Old Testament time, there was a time they didn't have the temple or the tabernacle, right? The Babylonians. It's their fault. Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem, tore down the temple, takes everything from the temple to Babylon, all right? Steal all the gold stuff and take all of that to Babylon. And what are they going to do for the next period of time, 587, all right, till later that century, they come back and they have to start rebuilding the temple, all right? And so, you've got a period. What, what do they do at that point? They rebuild the temple, they can do it again. Then in AD 70, boop, there goes your temple. You lost it again. But even then, they didn't have the Ark of the Covenant. So, what did they do? Did they just sprinkle it on the ground at the time? I don't know. Modern day Jews, depends on your group. If you're Reformed Jews, you don't read Leviticus 16. Traditional Jews do. Reformed Jews read Leviticus 19. And if you look at that, it's basically moral injunctions. It's about ethical living. And which makes sense to me. I mean, if you are... I mean, and the scripture also is very clear that God... You know, sacrifice is ultimately useless with a bad heart. All right? God wants obedience more than he wants sacrifice. And so, at least the Reformed Jews, they read Leviticus 19 instead. I don't know if it's correct or the best. Well, it doesn't matter. It's not correct, right? Because the Day of Atonement, the last one, was about 2,000 years ago. There's no need for any real Day of Atonement ever again. So, so that's how they practice it. But they can't fully practice it because they have no ark. And the temple, there, there's something else sitting where the temple was, right? What's sitting where the temple is? A mosque, the Dome of the Rock, all right? I believe it's where Muhammad supposedly went to heaven, right? Um, Dome of the Rock is sitting on the Temple Mount right now. So they have the Jews have the land, but they can't build a temple there. There's a mosque sitting there. Yeah. 
not a specific place, but any wilderness place. Because if they're moving, right, they're moving throughout the wilderness, are they yes. sending the guy with the goat all the way back to where they were at the beginning? That's, that's no. not right. possible. And actually, Jewish, you know, they, here it talks about how the goat must live. Um, Jews started actually taking the goat out and then pushing it off a cliff so they would die. So that was, became a lot of the custom for at least some of the Jews. On the Azazel thing, basically, and we'll say this very quickly because we are about out of time. Um, scapegoat all right, is a common option. It's an older one. Um, KJV has that, New American Standard, NIV. The more common one today, and you'll see this in the SV, you'll see this in the Net Bible, and this is the most common one among most Old Testament scholars, or at least so I read today, is to take as not a scapegoat, but as a zell, and to take as a zell not as a place, but as a demon, essentially. All right, and so the basic idea in that case would be: you see the parallel at the beginning. One is for the Lord, and one is for what? One is for Azazel. What is for the Lord? A sacrifice. What does Azazel get? Azazel gets all the sin of Israel sent to him. All right? So that's the basic image, if you take that meaning. I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. Um, But that's why you see Azazel. Because at least the parallel there um, to the Lord and to kind of expects another being to be sent that. All right? And also, in later Judaism, like, for example, First Enoch, a book we've talked about before, uh, has Azazel in there. And Azazel, sometimes people look at Azazel, it's basically Satan. Right? Azazel is a demon in First Enoch. And where do they get that? Probably from interpreting that, this particular thing that way. And so, either way you take it, the sin is leaving the camp. Right? Now, even if it is Azazel... Or, a proper name of a demonic force. It's not a sacrifice to Azazel. It's a, where does sin belong? Does sin belong in the camp? No. Where does sin belong? It belongs to the devil. It belongs to the demon. So, yes, Chip? Real quick. Um, previously, before the, the uh, tabernacle was established, Joshua paraded the Ark of the Covenant around the city of Jericho. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It wasn't covered then. Right. But once it was placed in the Holy of Holies and assumed the different function as the presence. Yes. The presence of God would come there at that point, right? Yeah. Which is why in Ezekiel it's kind of a big deal when the presence of God leaves the temple. That's well, part of a big Ezekiel problem. So uh, we'll leave it at that. We won't read the first paragraph of the next chapter. Except, uh, totally go read it. Because it's really meant to be read with this chapter. Because it basically says all these kind of sacrifices need to be in the tabernacle. Because you need to keep people from sacrificing to goats. Keep people sacrificing to goat demons. Right? So in other words, to keep the Israelites from practicing idolatry. All right, so go read the first paragraph. I think it ties in very much. It's an interesting thing. So that's it. We'll, we'll be done for today. If anybody wants to talk more about this later, uh, we will. Next Lord's Day, God willing, we will talk about the Day of Atonement again, except this time from the perspective of the book of Hebrews.